0: are kids really thinking and feeling? Sometimes it's hard to know. The thousands of letters and emails kids send to Highlights Magazine every year help us keep our finger on the pulse of kids. We think they can also help you. So each week on this podcast, we share a few of the messages we've received from kids, and we discuss them with an expert. Lean in and listen to learn what kids want their grown-ups to know about being a kid today. I'm Christine french Cully, and you're listening to Dear Highlights.
1: Dear Highlights, I have a problem. My dad's at night, and I miss my dad's. I get keys. Dear Highlights. Dear Highlights. Dear Highlights. Dear Highlights.
0: It's not easy being tween, and that's what we're talking about today. When we say tween, we're talking about kids who are between being a child and being a teenager. Kids between the ages of nine and 12, they are about to experience some really impactful changes on their bodies with the onset of puberty. They're being exposed to new kinds of peer pressure and some of it a little dangerous. They are expected to carry added responsibilities and the transition from elementary school to middle school brings more homework and for some added anxiety. The tween years can be a time of confusion, emotional outbursts and mood swings. We tend to think of these as the normal ups and downs associated with being on the cusp of adolescence, and most often that's the case. But in some kids, these may be signs of something more concerning. Sometimes even kids themselves aren't sure what to think. A young tween we'll call Julia wrote to Highlights, saying that she is grumpy every night and just wants everyone to stay away from her. I lock myself in my room, she wrote. I've considered running away or anything to get away from this world. Is it hormones, she wondered. I'm delighted to introduce today's guest, Dr. Parker Houston, a licensed clinical psychologist at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, one of the largest pediatric hospitals and research networks in the US. There, he serves as clinical director of the On Our Sleeves program, a movement to transform children's mental health. He's a passionate advocate for kids and families, helping to educate them on mental health issues and helping them find agency. Dr. Houston,
1: welcome to our podcast. Chris, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Oh, we're so glad you're here. You know, from time to time, we receive letters from kids very much like the letter Julia wrote to us. To start our conversation today, I'd like our listeners to hear a few more kids describe their thoughts and feelings about this window of time. Here's a letter we received from Amanda, who wrote to share a bulleted list of behaviors she tries to follow. She wrote, Dear Highlights, these are some things I live by. Speak only when spoken to, and this rule applies only with my parents pretty much. No one cares how you feel, so put a smile on your face and pretend you're fine. Do what others want you to do, not what you want to do. Tell only good lies and some truth. Good lies are lies that make others happy, even if it's not what you want to say. Example, my mom asks every day, how was your day? Every day I reply quickly, good, lie. Then quickly change the subject and ask how her day was. She probably doesn't really want to know how my day was. She's just trying to be polite. Plus, she doesn't deserve to have any of my burdens on her shoulders along with her own. Cry at night when people think you're asleep. Know that whatever you do, you're going to fail never ask for anything when people ask you if you want anything always say no here's the problem i break my own code all the time today i talked to my mom a few times without her talking to me first how can i keep my code it seems so hard and here's one more this was uh, unsigned dear highlights i don't know what to do with my life i feel empty sometimes For 11 years of my life, I've been doing what I was told to do. I go to school, I do my homework, I go home, finding the weekend boring, and it continues like a cycle. I know that I'll grow up, I'll go to high school and college, then I'd get a job, then what? Money isn't important to me that much. All I would need is a house for my mom, dad, and myself to live in, and food for all of us. Is that it? I feel like I'm not destined to do anything. I don't want to give up my life studying chemicals like a scientist. I don't want to be a mail carrier or anything. I don't want to think about jobs right now. Besides jobs, how can I be happy for my life? I hardly enjoy things now." Oof. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, they are so honest and transparent. Um, Yeah. It's a little heartbreaking.
1: It is. It's amazing to think that kids in this age group already have so much insight into the way they think the world works and the way they think life is going to play out for them. And, you know, to me, both of those letters really highlight something that most of us as adults misperceive, which is that kids don't really understand this stuff and they don't have thoughts and feelings about mental health and about their emotions and about their future. Uh, I think we think that kids are carefree and, And live life and enjoy things that come their way. But I think these letters are really representative of what goes on in their minds a lot of times where they're thinking a lot more deeply than we give them credit for and thinking more about their future and how their life is going to unfold. And so, you know, I think we'll spend some time today talking about how can we have better conversations with our kids about these type of topics. And as adults, how can we get more comfortable bringing up these issues and helping to correct some misperceptions or identify problems as early as possible so that we can help intervene.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, We so often underestimate kids' ability to um, see the world and their willingness to wrestle with these really big, complex issues. And um, their inner lives are complex. Yeah. Uh, we really need to encourage them to share their thoughts and feelings because when we lean in and listen, as we always say at Highlights, that's how we, we always learn and that's how we'll serve them better. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, if you were the parent of one of these uh, children, how would, how would you know to, how to respond? But if you have a child who's starting to share some of these uh, thoughts and feelings with you, what do you do? Yeah.
1: Well, I think as an adult, as a parent, the first thing that we need to do is help ourselves to be a little bit more familiar with child development and child mental health and wellness. And, you know, when I talk about mental health for children, I don't necessarily equate that with mental illness, which a lot of people do. You know, we think mental health and we immediately go to when things aren't going well. But to me, mental health is a spectrum. There's mental illness or Mental health problems on one end, but there's also ways to facilitate and to help kids feel mentally well, to feel um, positive emotions as much as is possible. And so as an adult, we start thinking about what are all the ways that we can help, first of all, know where kids might fall along that spectrum at any given time and help them express that. But also how can we help edge them towards that mental wellness end of the spectrum? no matter where they fall. You know, a lot of kids might be right in the middle a lot of days, but we'd love for them to have more of the positive days where they're having positive thoughts and they're able to manage their stressors really well. And so the first thing we do is we just try and educate ourselves. We try and learn more about it. And then second of all, become more comfortable and confident talking about it. And again, we don't have to start off the conversation with, I want to talk to you today about depression, right? That's a hard way to start a conversation with a kid, but we could start off with even positive things. What's the best thing that's happened to you this week? What's some time recently that you felt really successful or really happy? Um, You know, tell me about some of your best friends and what makes them a best friend to you. And then of course you can get in after that the opposite of those questions. What's been a really tough day lately? What are some times that you just don't feel like you're you're very successful or like you're getting everything done that you need to? Or, you know, is there anyone at school that you have difficulty getting along with? And why might that be? You know, what can we do to help that situation? And so when you start those conversations, immediately it breaks this unseen wall in between a parent and a child where for some reason historically those topics were taboo they weren't something that we openly discussed until there was a problem presenting itself and so when we break down that wall it automatically makes it a little bit easier for everyone to talk to because there's a context there you know we talk about that stuff now and we don't need to hide it as the as amanda wrote you know that's heartbreaking to me because amanda's writing about i hide everything going on I don't want to burden anybody. I don't want to tell anybody. I don't want to ask for anything that I need. Uh, and, you know, that's something that is really difficult for a parent to pick up on. Because as she said, I just sort of hide it all. And I keep it to myself and I cry after everybody else has gone to sleep. And that's a really scary thought as a parent myself of an eight-year-old. You know, I'm, I'm nearing this level with my daughter. And... Um, you know, thinking that that might happen if I'm not trying to have these conversations is uh, is unnerving for sure.
0: Yeah, we hear that a lot from kids that they don't want to share their distress or their unhappiness with their parents because they don't want to disappoint them, they don't want to worry them, um, they think they might be their concerns might be dismissed, they might not be taken seriously.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of the reason kids think that is because parents, we unwittingly do that stuff sometimes. And I'm not letting myself escape that. You know, I find myself too often when one of my kids, my other kid's five, by the way, when one of my kids comes to me and says, you know, I'm really upset, or I'm really anxious. If I don't have time or energy, or if I don't think it's reasonable, I find myself saying, well, you shouldn't be nervous about that. Or you need to get control of yourself, or you need to calm down. Instead of helping them understand, that was a good thing for them to share that with me. I'd like to hear more about it. We'd like to talk about how to help those feelings in the future and how to manage them better. And so there is this unintentional dismissal sometimes of those feelings. Like, I wouldn't feel anxious about that, so you shouldn't feel anxious about that. Or I know how to control my sadness, so you should know how to control your sadness versus wanting to, as, as Highlight says, lean in and listen you know, we give the solution right away versus, let me hear more about it. Let's take five minutes and talk through this, talk this through. Um, and and it, we want to send a different message maybe than we are sending sometimes. And, and we have to really focus on that.
0: I think, too, as adults, you know, we, we have the benefit of hindsight. And we know that, you know, in most cases, they'll get through this, that this is kind of um, a fleeting thing. Uh, And it'll all be all right in the end. But when you're a kid living it, (laughs) you don't have that kind of um, confidence. Right. Um, When should parents worry? Uh, When when does it seem like it's not maybe the normal ups and downs of um, adolescence or puberty or just, you know, trying to navigate childhood? What are the signs they should watch for?
1: Well, the biggest signs to watch for have to do with duration, intensity, and what we call functional limitations, or just the ability to live life and and do the things you want to do. So first of all, the duration is really important. As kids get into this pre-adolescent and adolescent phase, I think everybody knows by that point that kids have mood swings. But a mood swing indicates that it swings back and forth, that they'll have a day or two that are really tough for some reason. And then they swing back into the more typical range of functioning. And so it might be that, you know, they get a bad grade on a test or they have a fight with a friend and you have a few days where they're hard to be around or it's hard to help them cope with things. And and they're talking about, I can never show my face at school again, or I'm never going to have friends again. And it sounds very dramatic, but, um, but really, there should be that swing back. So when the duration shows that the swing has stopped and that it's stopped in the the difficult area where they're experiencing those feelings of hopelessness and sadness and irritability and, and all of those other things on a daily basis for a couple weeks or more at a time, then you should certainly show some concern if you haven't already. Um, the intensity, too, you know, being moody is not necessarily synonymous, even if it's on a daily basis. Um, that's not really a depressive symptom. That's sometimes hormones, sometimes a personality trait or a, a temperament. Um, but when it elevates to the level of, you know, being really difficult for them to manage, even small stressors and things like that, you should be concerned. And then those functional limitations are really important because, Many kids might experience some of these stressors and they might show them at home, but at school they're doing really well. They have great solid friendships. They interact with adults really well. Um, And they're really functioning quite well other than learning how to manage their emotions. So we think about those three things. and, And if your child starts saying things like, well, I don't want to play sports anymore or I don't want to hang out with my friends or their grades start to drop Um, then you certainly want to take note of that as well.
0: Having a network of other adults that kids can talk to, uh, adults that they trust, seems important. How can parents make sure that their kids have
1: that? That's a fantastic question. And I I love that because um, when we think about how do kids learn to develop these skills to manage life stress. And we call that resilience in a lot of ways. It's the ability to bounce back from stressful situations and to to keep at it and keep with it. Um, One of the single best predictors of resilience is having at least one adult model or relationship that you can turn to in times of stress especially in the younger ages because, you know, nine-year-olds are not great at being friends to each other in this type of way. Uh, they don't really have that capacity developed quite yet. By the time you get to high school, they're starting to develop that, and we have lots of peer support programs in schools when we get into high school. But um, in the middle school age, we just don't in elementary. So one thing that parents can do is to really help foster those Relationships in a safe way. And I know, again, as a parent myself, there's unfortunately stories out there about these relationships that go awry with coaches or mentors or, you know, things like that. So parents do have to, you know, be cognizant and be aware of who their children are spending a lot of time with. But um, allowing them to form those connections and giving them opportunities to work with other adults. And if they start having really positive interactions with them, you know, really foster that relationship. How can we spend time with them in in an appropriate way? Um, You know, for my daughter, for instance, she really, really enjoys art. And her art teacher at her school is becoming one of those people that she loves to stop by her classroom every day, loves to make projects for her on the weekends and take it in and show her what she's done. And so my wife and I have really thought that that's an important relationship to foster because they, you know, she might be able to express some things to her that she wouldn't want to talk to mom and dad about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Kids who have more than one caring adult in their life are lucky kids indeed.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Um, Some children just find it difficult to express their feelings verbally. And I do think that's one reason why kids write letters um, I had a child who, um, my son just wasn't much of a talker. And um, when he was young, I drove a minivan, and I noticed that he would invariably get way in the back seat when we were going somewhere, even if it was just the two of us. So I sold the minivan <laughs> and I bought a sedan. So he would have to sit, you know, in the front closer to me. And that was useful. The car was a good time to talk um, things through because he didn't have to look at me. Uh, And, you know, sometimes eye-to-eye, face-to-face contact when you're talking about hard things are tough. Do you have any other very concrete tips for parents who might have children who um, find it difficult to express themselves?
1: Yeah, I think I immediately turn to other creative outlets. And um, actually, the program I work for on our sleeves, we just launched a new relationship with Joanne Fabrics and Crafting Stores for that very reason. Because we realized that not every kid is a sit down and face to face talker. um, But every kid wants to express themselves. Every adult wants to express themselves. We choose as adults. We have so much more agency in our lives. We can choose how we want to express ourselves. And some of us do that through the work we do or through volunteerism or many different ways. so we need to give kids those opportunities as well. And so we, we partnered with Joanne to have them create crafting ideas or art, like artistic ways of self-expression that then will hopefully stimulate some conversation based on that and can help parents and adults get into their child's world a little bit more. And so, um, you know, helping them to, to be creative in those ways. Sometimes for me, the best thing to do is read different books and talk about the books because, again, it's sort of an indirect route to talk about something that might be on their mind when you can personify it for a character or for, um, you know, another person. This is another person's story, but I wonder if you might feel like that sometimes. And that can be a little bit easier for kids to express. Um, But, you know, the, the type of crafts that we typically do are things like, you know, the puppets or the little made-up monster characters or, you know, painting faces on rocks or something like that where they can they can sort of show a little bit of what they're thinking by the type of art that they create or things like that. Um, For other kids it's it might be writing a letter or it might be listening to different music or it might be reading different kinds of books. There are a lot of different ways to to help them but really the most important thing is just they feel like they have a an outlet to be able to let people know how they're feeling at any given time Um, and that's really the most important thing.
0: Yeah, and that's the key. Um, It's the key for parents to figure out where their kids are on that spectrum of um, mental well-being and um, it's so important for kids to um, learn that skill, uh, figure out what, what modality works best for them to express themselves because they may use that their whole lives. Yeah, uh, right? certainly. Is there anything else you'd want to say about parents? Any more um, tips?
1: Well, I would say the other thing is to try and make it a routine. And making it a routine is hard because you have to work at it. But if you ask kids once, how are you feeling and, and get into it in depth once and then don't come back to it because maybe they're doing well that day. Um, that doesn't really form a communication habit between parents and kids. So I've often tried to encourage parents to find a specific time or a specific event or, you know, something that would cue them to have these conversations more regularly. Sounds like for you, that's a great idea in the car you're kind of sitting in the car, You're it's a captive audience for a little while and, you know, maybe it's like to or from school or maybe it's to or from a, a sports practice or a, an artistic group or something like that. Um, just like that five minutes of a check-in more deep than just how, you know, as, again, as Amanda wrote in her letter, how you doing today, fine, is not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about asking them some more Um, open-ended questions that they have to really generate an answer for and show some interest. Um, So for me, that's before bed every evening because I'm the bedtime guy at my house. And so after we've read our books and maybe had a discussion about the books, uh, I get some time individually with each of them before they go to sleep. And that's the time when I talk about, you know, what do you got coming up tomorrow? How's your week looking? How, you know, what did you think of the weekend? What was your favorite thing we did this weekend? And what was the thing that you got frustrated about earlier today? Do we need to talk about that? And so now I really don't have to ask anymore. I will sit down in the chair in their room and they'll say, well, this week I've got, and they'll just start launching into it because it's now just a habit. And so, um, you know, making that an okay thing to do, they'll bring problems now to us as well as things that they're happy about.
0: Yeah, for many families, bedtime is the time where a lot of good conversations happen. And it's a good reminder not to rush through that long. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Well, Dr. Houston, it highlights our core belief is that children are the world's most important people. And if we as a society truly believe this, what might we do differently to support children's mental health? This is a question we ask all our guests Uh, We've had some wonderful answers, lots of food for uh, thought. I'm excited to hear your
1: response to
0: this question.
1: Yeah, well, I have three things that I would want to to focus on. Um, First of all, would just be more energy on prevention for children in the area of mental health. Because... Our system right now, justifiably, is heavily invested in, in reactive responses. So kids present with a problem, and we try and help them solve the problem in the mental health field. But we really don't do much in the area of prevention, at least not as much as we could. And so that would be the first thing is you know developing more programs and, and making more of a focus on preventative mental health and teaching kids skills that they need. The second thing would be um, more resources in schools because teachers spend or kids spend so much time in school with their teachers and other educators that you know it only makes sense to me that we provide teachers and other educators with as many resources as possible to work with the kids in their classrooms and it's amazing to me how many teachers I talk to as part of my job who say, I just really don't, I don't know how to talk about this with my students in a productive way. I'm scared about what they might say back to me and how I would respond. And I don't really have as many resources at my fingertips as I would like, especially in the younger age groups, you know, elementary school, especially, I think there's, there's not enough there. Um, And then the third thing would be better healthcare coverage for mental health, because I hear many, 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 many parents who tell me, I think they might benefit from working with a psychologist or a mental health professional, but it costs a lot and we can't afford it. And so we'll just try and figure it out at home or, you know, we'll try and rely on resources we can find online, which is a great place to start. But There are lots of kids who really would benefit from talking with someone as early as possible before they end up in a crisis situation where parents don't have a choice anymore and then they're they're sort of into the system later than they could have been so those would be the three things i think we could do that would really benefit kids both in the short term and long term
0: yeah thank you those are three important things i'm so glad you shared them with us and thank you for being on the podcast today. You've given parents some really concrete ideas on how to help their kids transition um, from childhood to uh, adolescence and to adulthood. And we're always uh, happy to have you come back. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, anytime. It's a pleasure. Thanks for all you do for kids. And um... You know, responding to those letters over the years, I I can guarantee that made a difference in a lot of kids' lives, hearing back with some some wise words and encouragement. So thanks for your your support of kids over these last many, many decades. Yeah,
0: 75 years this year. Yeah, it's an honor and a privilege to answer those letters. Yep. Thank you so much. We are honored to be able to elevate kids' voices and share with you some of what they share with us. Whether a child's concern is big or small, unique or universal, serious, or sure to easily work itself out, it's real to the child and matters deeply. We've come to see that in every letter kids have sent to us over the years, there are implicit, overarching questions embedded within. Do you care? Am I loved? Do I have a place in the world? A place in the lives of the people I love? We hope kids believe us when we say in many more words, yes, yes, yes. Let's all lean in to give kids what they really need and want – more listening, more understanding, and more connecting. This podcast is an extension of the book, Dear Highlights, What Adults Can Learn from 75 Years of Letters and Conversations with Kids, publishing this August and available for pre-order now everywhere books are sold. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to help us reach more grown-ups who care about kids. And if you'd like to send a comment or suggestion to me directly, please email me at christine@highlights.com. At